Um, we are going to start today's session with a conversation with Ravi Mohan from Shasta Ventures. Welcome, Ravi, to the show. Is Ravi's uh, video audio clear? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you fine and we can see you fine as well. Great. Excellent. So, Ravi, let's start by introducing our audience to you and to Shasta. Um, tell us a bit about your background as well as in, as we are sitting in 2018, June, what is Shasta's investment focus? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm very fortunate to be a venture capitalist. I began my career uh, building software. I did that at three different companies. I started off working with a large systems integration company, Anderson Consulting, now called Accenture. And since I've been in the technology industry for quite a while, over 20 years, I began writing mainframe programs for them. I then moved to um, a software company that ended up becoming Hyperion, and I was a pre-sales consultant for them with a new business intelligence product. And then I worked um, three years, uh, three to four years in India with my mother when we had a small software business building decision support systems. Our customers were large um, multinationals uh, domiciled in India as well as large uh, Indian businesses. We also did work in the Far East, in Singapore, Indonesia, uh, as well as had some customers in the U.S. After I finished that, I got my MBA, and um, through good fortune, I entered the venture business in 1996. And for the last 22 years, I've been a venture capitalist focused on software companies, SaaS companies, infrastructure companies whose customers are other enterprises. Uh, Shasta is a classic early stage um, uh, West Coast-oriented venture firm. We have raised uh, five funds, and we're currently investing out of our fifth fund, which is a 200 and which is a 320 million dollar fund. Uh, we invest across stages. Um, we do seed investments, Series A, Series B, uh, Series C, and sometimes, uh, occasionally, we will do a growth investment. Uh, our areas that we focus on are business-to-business -business software and, and uh, software as a service, business-to-consumer services, and what we call emerging platforms, and that includes augmented reality, virtual reality, robotics, space, um, and so those new platforms are what we, uh, we categorize as emerging platforms. We have seven investment partners and uh, a small staff. So um, let me double-click down on a few things that you uh, talked about. First and foremost, you said West Coast-oriented, but you also prefaced the introduction with your very deep background in India. So what does, how does that play in your investment activities today? Are you looking at companies that are Silicon Valley headquarter or West Coast headquarter but have a lot of India back-end and, and so forth, or, or is it pure uh, – West Coast companies? Uh, well, uh, in terms of geography, we invest primarily in the West Coast, where the, com uh, where the headquarters of the companies are, and that includes Seattle, Los Angeles, San Diego, the Bay Area. Uh, we also have made a series of investments in Austin, Texas, uh, and a series mm -hmm. of investments in New York City. Uh, the, the reason we are not able to, uh, to invest beyond these geographies 
is primarily that we're not there enough to be able to work um, closely enough with the entrepreneurs that we back. Uh, in terms of India and um, having a back end in India, many of the companies that we are invested in have uh, engineering product customer success operations in India. Uh, they, uh, and so it's not a requirement that they have the back end in India. It's, they could have it anywhere. They could have the back end in uh, Silicon Valley, as far as we're concerned. Uh, but it's mostly uh, the go-to-market team has to be in the geographies that I mentioned, as well as the senior leadership. Fair enough. And um, just to you know complete that configuration question. So because of our activities being you know entirely global, we see nowadays companies everywhere. We see companies all over the United States. We see companies in Europe. We see companies in uh, India, of course, and so forth. And many of them have aspirations of coming to Silicon Valley and set up their go-to-market operation. Maybe they do validation elsewhere, but they come to, you know, go beyond the validation phase to the next, uh, you know, Series A, Series B in Silicon Valley. Is that something you're seeing? We, I'm sure you're seeing India, but are you also seeing Silicon Valley go-to-market, but uh, back-ends, whether it's engineering, customer support, QA, et cetera, in other parts of the United States, in Europe, et cetera? Uh, very much so. I, I do think that the business has now become um, the business of creating technology uh, startups uh, that disrupt the status quo is a global business. Uh, some of those markets uh, that the companies get started on are aimed at overseas markets, and they're very successful. Um, you can look at Baidu, and you can look at Tencent going after the Chinese market, look at Flipkart in India. Those are all fantastic companies. Uh, but at the same time, they're in um, business to business. Uh, you see companies get started in a variety of different geographies and then look to tap into the U.S. market and grow. Uh, there have been a number of Israeli companies that have been successful, primarily in the security space. There have been a number of Australian companies that have been successful. Uh, you know, Atlassian is a good example. Canva actually is marketing in the uh, in the U.S. market, but you know, has David Tepex go to market in Australia? Uh, you're starting to see some really interesting companies coming out of Europe. You know, Algolia, for example, out of France uh, is, is a recent example in the search space. So we're seeing it more and more. Yeah, and um, when you say seed stage or early stage, define that for us. What is your definition? Uh, Let's take B2B. What is your definition? I mean, seed stage, early stage, it could be, you know, it could be as early or as um, as an idea um, without a product. Uh, that is, the, it could be as early as that. So we backed, uh, or I'm on the board of a company called Lean Data, and I've known the entrepreneur for 20 years, and he and I discussed uh, starting the company that he wanted to start. Uh, and then from that uh, discussion over dinner, uh, that led to him having uh, an executive in residence position at Shasta. And mm -hmm. that led him to recruit a co-founder, uh, build a business plan, uh, or, or have a rough idea as to what the product was going to look like. And that led to a $1 million investment from us. Now the company has 350 customers. It's uh, you know on its way to doing $15 million of 
um, contracted annual recurring revenue this year and uh, you know, has raised in total $18 million. So we've been involved in all stages of investing in the company uh, to date. And um, when you make that decision to invest in a concept stage company, which very few investors do really these days, is it a requirement that you've had a long-term relationship with the investor, uh, with the entrepreneur? Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a requirement. I think that, um, for example, if we did not know uh, Evan as well as we would have, we, but we were still impressed with him and we got to know him and we liked the idea, we might work with him um, as a, or her as, a, uh, as an EIR and get to know each other better. Um, and the primary reason around this is at a very when you're investing at an early stage and an entrepreneur is working at an early stage, uh, the, the the key um, criteria for whether the enterprise is going to be successful is finding product market fit. Yeah. And um, finding pro uh, that discovery is not um, is a process that might take many different turns. And uh, there might be some positive terms and there might be some negative terms in that process. And so to actually navigate that road uh, in a constructive manner, trust is incredibly important and understanding each other is incredibly important. Now, clearly that trust can be built over many years, but it can also be built uh, in a shorter period of time depending upon um, what both the entrepreneur and the venture capitalist is going to invest in the relationship. We focus a lot on that product market fit um, process. So our guidance to our entrepreneurs most of the time um, is to figure out that product market fit before going out to raise money, uh, which is, you know, the vast majority of the market is in that mode right now. So that's just uh, an aside. So um, let's talk about, um, in B2B, do you have sweet spots? Are there specific things that you are noticing or liking in what you're seeing? Let's say if you look at your last 18 months of deal flow, what kind of trends are you seeing and what, what trends you think are going to be the genesis of major com com venture-funded companies? Well, clearly um, the areas that we are investing um, we're investigating, you know, fall into, let's say, three broad categories uh, within business to business. Uh, one, we're, uh, we're looking at security. Um, the security is, uh, is a very, very broad area. It impacts every enterprise's brand, every enterprise's ability to uh, interact with their customers and their partners in a manner that is um, that, that respects that relationship um, from a confidentiality perspective. And the, the benefits of people finding ways around uh, uh, that security, those security guards at scale is huge. So they might be doing it because they might be annoyed at a company and want to create a PR issue with the company. They might do it actually to make money. There's a lot of different reasons why people are, um, you know, attacking large enterprises. 
And given the fact that the world is changing with cloud and mobile and new serverless technologies to build and run applications, um, the footprints of what needs to be done to secure the enterprise and uh, live within um, the rules that are available uh, as well as comply, I mean, live within them through compliance as well as show that you've done what you've done, done properly and treated people uh, with the appropriate level of um, respect, concern, and, and, and protect their information. There's a lot of opportunity in security, and one of my partners, Nathan Chopra, is focused in that area. Mm -hmm. Second, um, corporations are becoming uh, more and more are moving to utilizing the data available um, for them to be a more data-driven organizations. And so there's a lot of opportunity in terms of understanding, you know, pulling that data in one place, understanding that data, and converting that data into actionable intelligence um, that, um, that can drive decision-making and workflow to help companies uh, achieve their business, adapt their businesses based upon data. So we spend a lot of uh, time looking at uh, both data infrastructure, data processing, um, smarts um, that are more, I would say, horizontal oriented. Mm -hmm. And lastly, uh, in, um, in the application software world, we bifurcate that into two categories. We're looking for smart applications, uh, applications that um, that take information and help assist, intelligently assist humans to, to drive better decision-making and better workflow. We just made an investment in a company in Seattle called Supari, started by an Indian entrepreneur growing up in the U.S. Uh, that's going after the procurement space and really looking at how do I, uh, how do I make, how do I build a smart procurement application to help companies um, uh, ensure that they buy stuff that's, that they've contracted with at the price that they've contracted with uh, within the budget that they've set up in the year. And they're using mm -hmm. smarts to make sure that that happens. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the second area within software as a service that we're looking at is replacement markets. Um, there's a whole host of automation that's happened, both mainframe as well as client server. Uh, and there's a huge opportunity to, as these applications get older and new capabilities are required within them, uh, to go after um, replacing them. Uh, some examples, obviously, that are very successful that most people know about is Salesforce is a replacement software for CRM. And they replaced Siebel and have and has built, um, you know, close to a $100 billion uh, market cap company around that replacement market opportunity. Workday is doing the same thing for um, human capital management, and ServiceNow is doing the same thing for help desk. So, um, you know, there are more categories out there, and um, we're looking in those areas. Okay. And um, could you take us through a bit of the thinking uh, for your portfolio strategy in B2C, both trends that you're seeing as well as where your bets are? Yeah, um, you know, the, the obviously, well, not obviously, there are always um, every new communications platform yields huge new B2C companies. Uh, so with the Internet, you ended up with Facebook. Um, you know, mobile hasn't quite gotten okay. there yet with, um, well, I guess you did have WhatsApp, which was a great acquisition by Google, and 
at Instagram, yeah, which is a great acquisition by Facebook. So, you know, those are mobile, camera-oriented, and Instagram's case. Um, so we do look there, but they're hard to understand which ones will actually take off and which ones don't. Uh, so we, although they're a very good area for entrepreneurs to build businesses, uh, we tend to be more conservative around backing those types of businesses because we aren't sure which ones will win. Uh, so that's uh, that's an area that entrepreneurs should look at, but it's not an area within Shasta that we spend a lot of time in. It, within Shasta and consumer, we're looking at three areas, um, very defined. We're looking at subscription-based businesses that are offering uh, a product and service that people can subscribe to. We've made two invest, we've made multiple investments in this area. Uh, some examples are uh, healthy, ready, prepared dog food that's delivered. Um, all the farmer's dog, um, and they make human-like food and package it, customize it for the type of dog and get it delivered to the, the house, and that's a premium subscription service. Uh, we have um, a contraceptive service for women called the Pill Club where they can go consult a doctor uh, online and get uh, birth control um, delivered to them on a subscription service. Uh, and the third one that we've made um, recently is a company over the last couple of years called Imperfect Produce, which takes uh, excess produce from grocery stores that don't mm -hmm. look the way the grocer wants to present the food and uh, deliver it to people on a weekly basis. Uh, so let's just say a carrot that's not perfect. It's not perfectly mm -hmm. pink or orange and has some blemishes on it might be put into the imperfect produce basket that someone subscribes to. So we are looking at um, subscription companies that, you know, that, that fulfill a real need, that have the ability to have a high margin, that have an ability to have a brand, and that, mm -hmm. that create real value for their customer. Uh, so that's one category. Uh, the second category that we're looking at is financial services, um, the new types of financial services. Um, we have invested historically in companies like, um, including Mint, which was um, kind of a web-based Quicken that helped you show you how much money you have to spend this month and manage your money better. We invested in an online banking company called Simple, which lets you uh, set up a deposit account online and have mobile applications that helped you do your basic banking in a better manner. And more recently, we've invested in a company called Tally, which lets you consolidate your credit card debt um, on your phone and bring down the cost um, that you might pay in terms of fees and interest. Uh, so we keep looking in that area for using technology to disrupt it, uh, to disrupt the incumbents uh, and find valuable uh, consumer services uh, that people would want. So that's the second area. And the third area that we're looking at is uh, personalized medicine uh, through genetics uh, with a consumer bent to it. So we're, see, we're um, we have small investment in a company called Color Genomics, and we look at other types of um, genetically oriented or DNA-based ways to customize medicine that can be delivered to the individual. So those are the three areas that we do in consumer. Okay. And um, you didn't really say non-subscription e-commerce. 
Is that a correct observation that you're not doing non-subscription e-commerce? Uh, we we do do some non-subscription e-commerce, but it's not a focus area. So mm -hmm. we have made investments in um, uh, Stance, which is a branded company making socks and now getting into other categories. Um, we've made an investment in a company called Poppin, a very large investment, which makes office furniture and office goods that people that actually are design friendly. So think of mm -hmm. them as I don't want to get IKEA, but I don't want to spend $50,000 for a desk. And yeah. I'm going to get something that looks nice, that fits my brand, that enables me to create a vibrant office uh, without having to spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars for each piece of furniture. Um, there is, uh, as it turns out, uh, Poppin, although doesn't have a subscription, an official subscription component, uh, when they land accounts and they equip an office, it usually leads to a lot of follow-on orders from the same customer as they might equip other offices or expand their use of their products within an office. The primary reason we like subscription businesses is the, uh, the ability to create a long-term customer relationship, and uh, the cost of actually acquiring any new customer is very expensive. And the key is, can you offer a good or service that the customer in a relationship, that once you've acquired them, you deliver on it, and they keep buying more things through you. And mm -hmm. by doing that, um, one in general uh, are, is able to create more profitable businesses. Now, that does mm -hmm. not need to be exclusively done through subscriptions, but it's easier to do it with a subscription. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, one of my observations, and I was talking with um, somebody uh, who operates in the Indian ecosystem with B2C e-commerce, is um, if you're doing a pure logistics play, even in niche e-commerce, I think it's getting harder and harder because Amazon is so comprehensive. Um, you know, the big categories are all taken. So the way to differentiate is with new products, branded products. And um, and I think you are what you are layering onto that is the notion of repeat purchase and or subscriptions. Um, so I think uh, you know for those of you in the audience who are listening to this conversation and you are thinking about e-commerce businesses, pay attention to these nuances because the the baseline of e-commerce businesses is is becoming tough. If you were talking about venture scale businesses, you can still do niche e-commerce businesses in smaller categories, if you can come carve out a very small niche and, and create a $5 million, $10 million business. But if you're talking about building a $100 million, $200 million, billion business, that opportunity, that set of opportunities that will lead to those kinds of businesses are fewer and far between unless you can differentiate with a product, a differentiated product or product line. Would you agree with that, uh, Ravi? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, I mean, also, uh, I think that one can look at different types of businesses. So you can look at something like Casper, okay, which is yes. um, going after the mattress business and say, okay, here's a category that's large, that's not a subscription, but the, the user experience is so terrible uh, with the incumbents, I can disrupt it. And maybe I can actually develop a better user experience and I can do it at a better price because I'm going to optimize the supply chain in a way 
and it's a big enough category that I can go and disrupt it. And so right. that can happen. Now, the, the, the next question is, how far can you go in that category before Amazon gets in? Uh, that's also another question. Maybe there might be some nuances in particular supply chains that lets you execute in that supply chain in a way that Amazon might not want to. Maybe the market size, the market for mattresses might not be big enough to deal with the complexity of the, the supply chain for mattress manufacturing. Uh, the mattress Amazon market actually has uh, exploded. We have had uh, several mattress case studies, Satwa, which is a bootstrap company that has gone up to over $100 million, Purple, and so forth. So, so it's, you know, yes, Casper found the opportunity and some others found the opportunity, but right now, for those of you who are in the early stages, this is not a category to look at because category is extremely overcrowded. But it's a good example, a good proxy for the types of opportunities you're looking for. Now, um, what are the highlights of your portfolio? I think the last uh, set of conversations I'd like to have is if you could give us a few examples rapidly and tell us what caught your attention about those companies. Why did you choose to invest in those? Ideally, where you went in early stage. Yeah. So, the, you know, and when you mean highlights, you mean uh, exits or companies that we're excited about that are sitting Doesn't in the Doesn't matter. Either way is fine. Either way is fine. Something that, sure. think, that you think very highly of is the highlight. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I'll pick um, three or four software as a service companies, uh, that, uh, and they're all multi-hundred million dollar revenue companies. They're all growing north of 25%, and they're all valued at, you know, by certain investors at over you know, a billion dollars, let's just say. So, and we invested in all three companies. In two of the three companies, we were the first institutional investor in, and the third one, we were the second institutional investor in. And they, we invested in all of them before they had over a million dollars of um, uh, annual recurring revenue. So at very at early stages in all three. So the first company is a company called Aptio. Um, they've created a new category of business management called technology business management. And simply put, that is how do how do you manage the cost of IT in the enterprise? How do you treat IT as a business? How do you treat it as a service? Uh, measure its cost, plan its cost, execute its cost. That, that didn't exist before Aptio got there. And they created a new category. They actually created a new business management practice. And through that, created a $200 million cost business. They're a public company now and they're worth um, $1.5 billion in the public markets, and they're created on NASDAQ today. Uh, the second and folks, those of you who are listening, the Aptia case study is on our blog, so you can go look it up. Uh, and it was started by an Indian entrepreneur, uh, Sunny Gupta, uh, who's a multi-time entrepreneur, very successful. Um, the second company is a company called Zora, uh, just recently went public. Uh, and they're a billing company, and the CEO recognized the power of subscription businesses 10 years ago, and that subscription businesses were going to be the way uh, many businesses were, many enterprises were going to monetize their customer relationships, whether they were business-to-consumer businesses or business-to-business businesses. So, for example, Caterpillar, 
um, that make large tractors. They make, they, they actually make a lot of their money and most of their money from the service component after the tractors fall. Uh, GE Aircraft, which makes um, big, large engines, they're a huge portion of their business is the aftermarket service that the airlines contract with them. And those are all subscription businesses. And he recognized this and he created a whole new, um, uh, what I would say, um, uh, economy. He went beyond just creating a, a business management practice and said, look, the world is moving to a subscription economy. And in order to uh, move to a subscription economy, you need to have the right billing systems for them and the right financial systems for that. And I'm going to build that. And Zora created that from the ground up. Uh, they're a multi-hundred million dollar company and they're right now trading on, I think, the New York Stock Exchange with a $3 billion market cap on them. And it was started by Kim Zhu and KB Rao, uh, a Chinese, a Chinese immigrant, uh, and an Indian immigrant. Um, and Keen, uh, KB was an immigrant himself. Keen was brought over here by his parents, like myself. I'm an immigrant, but I didn't actually emigrate. My parents just put me on the plane. Uh, and then the last company is a company called Anaplan. Um, Anaplan is, re, is really taking Excel and put it in the cloud and put it at scale so businesses can plan better uh, and really model any type of business problem, whether that's how do I do my financial plan for the year, how do I do my sales and territory quota management for the year, how do I do my workforce planning for the year. You can build all of that with Anaplan. Uh, and they're, you know, they've been growing very well, and and you know, just um, you know, they've um, they they are at the company we invested in when they had less than a million dollars worth of subscription revenue, and uh, now they have you know lots of customers. And you can go look up what they talk about themselves on their website. They are still a private company. And in all these three cases, you say what's common: um, passionate entrepreneurs who had a unique insight into a customer problem. Uh, and that's key. And in all three cases, they had various degrees of product market fit. In Aptio's case, when we invested, um, they had talked to 15 enterprises, and all these enterprises had wanted the solution. And we could see a clear reason why the CIO needed the solution. And it made sense to us, even though they had no customers. We could see why a CEO would buy, because the CIO was getting pressure that IT costs were increasing, and they needed to justify that IT cost spend to the other lines of business, to the CFO, the CEO, the general managers of their business. And there was another class of CIOs that really wanted to transform IT from managing hardware to actually providing services that their um, customers, the employees, were going to use, and really enable their, their customers, other employees, to understand what the cost of the services were and help the business make better decisions. We could see the logic in that, and yeah. we had the logic validated. With uh, Zora, we, um, we could see the rise of subscription services through SaaS, uh, through services like Netflix, uh, but frankly, I don't think we saw it as getting as big as it is today. But we knew that GE Aircraft had a business around services. And they had, um, at the time we invested, 20 to 25 customers. Uh, and the plan was going after an age-old problem. I'd actually worked in a company that, um, Hyperion, which built a financial planning system. And when I was in India in the early 90s, I built 
uh, a modeling system similar to Anaplan, obviously not as sophisticated for a large um, pharmaceutical company, uh, Glaxo. So I knew the benefits of being able to create multiple plans, have a platform that was sophisticated across different dimensionality. And the problem was that it was the technology wasn't available to truly deliver that flexibility and scale. And uh, when we invested in Anaplan in 2010, we could see that the memory fabric of big of compute uh, machines was big enough, and the technology was now available to actually to actually deliver a very flexible planning solution. And the founders that were building it were building the same solution for the second or third time. They knew what they were doing. And the, they had an initial set of customers who loved the product. So in that case, we didn't need to validate the need as much as would it work. Uh, and we got early evidence that they had built a wildly successful product. Very interesting. You know, um, audience, you just heard the investor perspective from Ravi about these three companies, Aptia, uh, Zora, and uh, Anaplan. We have all three case studies on the uh, Entrepreneur Journey series. You can hear the entrepreneur perspective uh, there as well. And, and I would strongly encourage you to go check out those case studies just to get, the, get a feel for what their entrepreneur journeys have been like and, and how they have built these companies. Obviously, all three are unicorn companies and, uh, and very successful companies. So, Ravi, that's a that's great perspective on uh, what you are looking for. And, um, you know, I will reemphasize for the audience what you just heard from Ravi about product market fit. You hear this from us all the time, that if you can get to successful product market fit, successful levels of repeatability, understanding that this is the logic of the business, and this is how you can repeat that logic, sell over and over again, and scale businesses at a fast pace. That is what investors are looking for. That is what Ravi is looking for. That is what Shasta is looking for. Is that a good summary of uh, what you said, Ravi? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and it's a it's a difficult journey finding a product market fit, and uh, and it's something that is in, it can be incredibly rewarding and incredibly frustrating. So it's hard. Yeah. So Ravi, thank you for uh, sharing those perspectives. I know you have to run. Uh, so, but thank you for participating today, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Hopefully, do some work together. Uh, thank you, Samarna, for the opportunity and. Uh, ability to share a little bit about Shasta and my thoughts. I really appreciate it.